0: welcome to the grove church podcast and the grovekc.com our mission as a church is to encourage people to discover true treasure in jesus christ we hope you find today's teaching helpful and encouraging thanks for joining us well hey good morning if we haven't met my name is christian i'm the lead pastor here it's so good to see you guys as campbell said we're glad You're with us. We are continuing a series called The Wisdom Pyramid. It's based on a book by the same title, and the idea is learning to feed our soul in a post-truth world. And so here we are, week three, and over the course of this series, we've been likening our intake of information to the consumption of food. Okay, that's been the big comparison, the big picture is the way we consume information is a lot like the way we consume food. And we live in a time when there's a lot of information to consume, and it makes it hard to know what to trust, what to believe. And so the p- wisdom pyramid is a way for us to consider our information intake, uh, to provide guidance on what to consume and how much to consume. And, and the reason is that we want to make sure we're not just consuming information, but actually cultivating wisdom. Okay, Wisdom It's simply this, it's it's skill in responding to how the world really works. Okay, that's what we're setting out to do is understand how does the world really work and then how do we craft good responses to the way the world really is okay? Not, we don't want to live pie in the sky. We're not living for something that is imaginary and hoping that it will turn out. What we're saying is we think there's a way to understand how the world really works, and then we can respond well uh, in our everyday lives. That's wisdom. And so I want to encourage you, if you've missed the previous two messages, to go back and listen to those. You can find those on our website, on podcasts. You can, you can check it all out there. Um, but I want to give you a quick overview of just where we've been. Week one, we, we made this point that we are malnourished for wisdom. Okay? We, are, we are sick in a certain way. And we evaluated bad habits and saw how, just like water, Jesus, just like water is for our physical health, Jesus is the essential ingredient to our spiritual health. Um, and we said that He is the primary source of wisdom that makes this whole wisdom pyramid idea work. Last week, we said we must be planted for wisdom. And okay? we talked about the first. A level of the wisdom pyramid, the base of the wisdom pyramid, which is the Bible. And the Bible is, because it's at the bottom of the pyramid, the way it works is it goes from least or most trusted, most reliable sources of wisdom to least, and and so at the base is the Bible. It is the most trusted authority and source of wisdom because it reveals God, okay? It reveals Jesus to us, and so we start there in our pursuit of wisdom. And today we're going to take the next step, and we're going to look at the church. You see that that's the next level up. And so I first just want to ask, to make sure we're all on the same page, when we say the church, what do we mean? What are we talking about? Okay? And and really two big ideas that we need to hold in our minds as we go today. The first is, uh, there's the idea of the universal church. Okay? The universal church. And, And the universal church is simply all Christ followers through all time, everywhere. And, and the promise of the Bible is that they are the ones who will populate the kingdom of God for all of eternity, okay? We're talking about all time, all places, everywhere, every person who would, would claim to have trusted Christ, okay, everyone who's come to acknowledge that Jesus is the king of everything and trust that his life and death and resurrection are sufficient to lead them out of a life of rebellion and into God's family, all those people, okay, if that's you... And That you are a part of the universal church. And there, there's a major biblical metaphor for the church when we think about the universal church. The Bible refers to the church as the bride of Christ. Okay? It uses this image of marriage. Um, and really, our marriages on earth are meant to reflect this greater reality. Okay, am not going to get into that deeply, but just know that that's one of the things that, that the church is described as, is the bride of Christ. Okay? And it'll, it'll be relevant here a little later on. Second big idea, not just the universal church, but a local church. When we talk about the church, we're talking about a local church. We're talking about a specific group of Christ followers who make up an outpost of the kingdom of God in a specific place and time. Okay? We're, we're talking about a group of people gathered together in Gladstone, Missouri in 2022 um, and have said, I'm a part of this body, I'm a part of this, this group. And so here, the major m- biblical metaphor the major image is the body of Christ. Okay? We are a part of the bride of Christ. That's how the church is described. It's also described as the body of Christ. Okay? And again, that will be relevant here in just a moment. But I want to today help you as we think about this, I want to give us another guiding metaphor. Okay another picture. you guys are, you guys are smart. you look smart today, okay? Um, and so I think we can hold this all in our heads as we consider this, but another guiding metaphor I mentioned, uh, two weeks ago, we started the series. I mentioned my weight loss this year, and, and if you asked me about the key idea uh, of losing, you know, 15, 20 pounds over a, a few months, uh, I would mention drinking water, okay? I mentioned that two weeks ago, but I would also talk about, okay, if we sat down and we began to discuss this, I would talk to you about the difference between raisins and grapes, okay? Now, Today is not the time for a nutrition lesson, so I'm not going to tell you that. I'm just going to leave you there. If you're really interested to know more about how that relates to weight loss, I can tell you another time, but, but it does give a helpful understanding for, for understanding a healthy physical body, but as I was thinking about it, it actually, the difference between raisins and grapes gives us a helpful understanding for, for the health of the body of Christ for the health of the church. Now why? Well, I want you to consider the similarities and the differences. So here's a, a can of raisins, okay? Now think about this. California raisins, okay? we got a whole can of raisins. You can hear them. The raisins are in there. So this is a collection of of raisins. And, and, you know, it's still sealed, but we could open it up and we would see there are raisins in there. They all look pretty well alike. Now, we could examine them and realize not every raisin exactly the same, but, but this is a collection of raisins. So there's a collection, they're alike, okay? But here's the thing. If I shake this up, what's happening is some of those raisins are moving to the bottom, some of them are moving to the top, they're kind of just being shifted around. One raisin doesn't affect another raisin, okay? They're just a, it's just a collection of like things. And, and here's the thing. It says California raisins, so if they're being honest, all of the raisins in here came from vineyards somewhere in California, but we don't know where exactly. It's just a collection that have been brought together. So you got the raisins. But now let's think about a cluster of grapes. Okay? I've got a cluster of grapes. I'll put this back. Cluster of grapes. Now, here again, I've got a collection. And, and in this case, I can see like they're all alike, again, not all the same size, not exactly the same They are separate entities, but they are all grapes. We can recognize that it is a collection of like things. But what, what's different here? See, in this case, they're connected. There's this organic connectedness that, that keeps them together. And why? Because they're connected from the same life source. Now again, I don't know where this came from. It's just in the Aldi, you know, in Aldi Proto section, but but It's not like they went and found a branch and then started gluing grapes from various vineyards, right? Like, and put them on this thing. This all came from a a single source. They all came from the same place. These grapes were grown, and they came off of the same vine. And so what happens to one of these grapes as they were being grown and formed, what happens to one affects the others. There's a a difference. And the difference, we could also say, is like the difference between an aggregation— and a congregation. We, we tend to think about a congregation when we, we hear church. It's kind of an old-fashioned-sounding word, congregation. But to aggregate is to collect or gather into a mass or whole. Okay? It's just to scoop up a bunch of things and say, okay, I got it. That's when we aggregate. But to congregate is to collect into a group or crowd. It's to assemble. Okay? Very similar definitions. But when we talk about congregate, what we mean is that there's an intentionality to that collection. There's something that brings them together intentionally. And, and so, again, we're, we're looking at the difference between a box of raisins or a can of raisins and a cluster of grapes. And so in one of the clearest statements on the importance of the local church in, in all of Scripture, we're told this, Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works. Okay, It goes on. Not neglecting to gather together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So there's the the reminder. We've got to gather together. If you're a part of a local church, you're to gather together. You're to, the the original word is synagogue. We kind of recognize that. It, It has this idea of assembling. We are to assemble. We are to congregate. And the implication, okay, just very quickly, the implication here is that it's not enough to say, well, I'm part of the universal church, the expectation if you walk and follow Jesus is that you should be actively participating in the local church, in a local church. But here's the thing. Why does that need to be written? Why does somebody have to say, hey, don't neglect to gather together, right? I mean, if you've trusted Christ, shouldn't that just be something you do? Well, but here, here's why. We're, we're gonna see that the church is a vital source for wisdom. Back then it was. Um, And just as now, it is. But but here's the problem. We are prone to ditch the church as a source of wisdom. What Scripture acknowledges, what God acknowledges, is that, that we are prone to ditch the church as a source of wisdom. It's nothing new. And in general, the tendency is to think that if you're looking for wisdom, if you're trying to figure out how the world really works and how to craft helpful responses, right, really deal with real life, if you're looking for that kind of wisdom, and I think in general, the opinion is, well, the church is kind of last place that you're going to find that kind of understanding. But, but here's the thing, even among Christians, for probably, I mean, it, it's probably been going on for, for decades, but, but growing, in a growing way, even among Christians, there's this growing tendency to see the church as a pretty unreliable source of wisdom. And so author Brett McCracken in The Wisdom Pyramid, he comments on this tendency. This is what he says, He says, if church adds something to one's personal spiritual walk, then great. But if it's a hassle or hindrance, just ditch it. You can love Jesus without loving the church. Or so the logic goes. It's pretty common logic. I love Jesus, but the church is just sort of extra. Not really all that important or vital. And so for many, there's this thought that the church is irrelevant. However... There's also a growing category of people who have ditched the church, not because, it's simplistic to say, it's a hassle or a hindrance. That's not why they've ditched it. They've ditched it not because it's a hassle or a hindrance, but because it's a source of hurt. We need to acknowledge that. That's also becoming a more and more common story. And so you may be a part of that group, or you know someone who says, you know, forget raisins and grapes. That's nice and all cute. But the church is more like a bush of poisonous berries. That's my experience of the church. And so we've got to acknowledge these realities. We've got to acknowledge where people are coming from, where you may be coming from here today. And so given the wide array of potential viewpoints on the church, what I want to do today is look at another passage in the book of Hebrews that expresses two things. One, what makes being part of the universal church so special? And then also how to cultivate wisdom In a local church. So here we go. Hebrews chapter 13. I'm going to try to get you out of here before Monday. Okay? So just sit tight. Hebrews 13 verse 7 says, Remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you. As you carefully observe the outcome of their lives, imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Don't be led astray by various kinds of strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be established by grace and not by food regulations, since those who observe them have not benefited. We have an altar from which those who worship at the tabernacle do not have a right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the most holy place by the high priest as a sin offering are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also suffered outside the gate so that he might sanctify the people by his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing his disgrace. For we do not have an enduring city here. Instead, we seek the one to come. Therefore, through him, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise, that is, the fruit of lips that confess his name. Don't neglect to do what is good and to share. For God is pleased with such sacrifices. Obey your leaders and submit to them, since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Okay, a lot there, and some of it we're not going to be able to go as deeply as I might have liked, but again, for your sake, we're going to see what's going on here. We're going to explore the entire passage, but, but here's the thing. I was drawn to this, this passage this week in this series because in light of our information consumption sickness and our pursuit of wisdom, in verse 9, we're given this warning. Don't be led astray. Don't be led astray. Okay, so again, this kind of warning, it's similar to what we heard in Hebrews 10. This kind of warning and this kind of encouragement, it has to come because we're prone to neglect the importance of congregating. That's, That's our tendency. And we're prone To be, as we practice being a part of the church, we're actually prone to be more like raisins than grapes. And we're prone to be led astray and seek wisdom in all kinds of ways and places that aren't actually helpful. But but here's what Hebrews 13 shows us. It shows us that only in the church do we find wisdom that is enduring, effective, and unexpected. I want you to see how all three of those are important. First, it is enduring, Wisdom. Hebrews 13:8, we're told Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is the anchor of everything that's being described here. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is essential. We said that two weeks ago. We continue to say it. And he describes the church as his bride. And so you want to understand the big picture, the story of the Bible. What is it all about? This is somewhat simplistic, but it tells the story and it gets at the heart of the message. That story is about the good prince coming and giving his life to crush the dragon and win the girl. That's, That's the news we celebrate. That's the message that we gather for. And so when we talk about the church, we're talking about the girl. We're talking about the bride of Christ. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, which means he's never not going to care about what's going on with his people. He's never going to not care about his church. And you can't decide, well, you know what, today's day and age, it's really not that relevant. Because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the wisdom we find in the church as a part of God's people it is enduring wisdom. It is also effective. We, were, we said last week, one of the key ideas of cultivating wisdom is found in Proverbs 4.23. Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. So wise living comes from careful treatment of our heart. Not the organ in our chest, though that does help with living well, okay, paying attention to the physical organ. But when the Bible speaks of the heart, it's talking about the cockpit, the decision-making cockpit of our lives, where we feel and think and decide. And from that, if we're not careful with what goes into how we think and make decisions and, and, and how, we, yeah, how we decide stuff, if we're not careful with that, then what flows out is a life of ruin. We actually end up defeating ourselves. And so the Bible speaks all the time about these self-defeating strategies that we are prone to enlist if we're not careful with our hearts. And so here, Hebrews thirteen 9, we're told, it is good for the heart to be established by grace and not by food regulations. Now, this is talking about a specific thing that was going on in that day and time. And, and we're not looking at exactly the same thing when we talk about information consumption. But principally, it's, it's the same thing. We're, we're told be careful that you're not trying to establish your heart in all kinds of other ways and places. Instead, know that it is good for the heart to be established, to be built, to be firmed up by grace. And if you are a part of God's people, through Jesus, you have received grace. You've received the gift of God that will establish your heart in wisdom, salvation, new life in Christ. It's a gift. It's not something you do anything for. You can't achieve it. You can't go and save up and then come to God and go, look, look, I did it. I saved up. I've got enough now to pay the price. You can't do that. Jesus paid it all. And so it's a gift. And it's an effective gift. It is grace that will establish us in wisdom, and we find that as a part of God's people. So it is enduring and it is effective, but it is also unexpected. It's vital that we understand if you are part of God's people, there's an unexpected nature to the wisdom we find. Hebrews 13, 12. Now, again, I can't jump into everything that's going on here. But Hebrews 13, 12, we're told, Therefore, Jesus also suffered outside the gate so that he might sanctify the people by his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing his disgrace. For we do not have an enduring city here. Instead, we seek the one to come. What's going on? Well, there's this comparison happening, and it's describing a a comparison between inside the camp or inside the city or inside the gate. And the comparison is between inside and then outside. And that comparison is to show us just how unexpected and upside down is the way of Jesus. See, the kingdom of God is upside down from the way the world operates. See, inside that camp, inside the city, was considered sacred and clean. Outside is considered profane and unclean. And so what we're told and what what we're being reminded is that when Jesus was was killed, his sacrifice on behalf of us who had rebelled against God, that sacrifice to pay the price for sin, it happens outside the city. What city? Jerusalem. The city of the king. The city of peace. Peace. But outside that city is where the king is killed. And not just killed, but where he is killed on a cross. And what we know about a cross is that Scripture tells us if you are killed on a cross, you're cursed. And that's the expectation. We we reserve crucifixion only for the worst of the worst. But Jesus goes outside the city of the king, outside the city of peace, to take the curse to give us peace. And so the question then is, why is he there? Why is he there? Well, because that's where we are. See, our sin has put us in the place of shame. Our sin puts us in the place of disgrace. But the good news is the king has come to where we are. He hasn't left us in our shame. He hasn't left us in our disgrace. If you're sitting here going, man, there's no way God could ever forgive me. Understand, he went to you. He's come for you. And so Jesus suffers as a sacrifice on behalf of those of us who would trust him. And our tendency is to want to accept the gift of grace through Jesus, through his disgrace, but then there's this tendency to want to go find peace and wisdom in other places. Among those who deny him, among those who think that the places of worldly popularity are where wisdom is found. And Jesus says, no, it it happens differently than that. So make no mistake, what we're told, 1 Corinthians 1, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And so plenty of sources will claim to be enduring. Most of them come and go. They're fads. Lots of approaches will seem to be effective in some form or fashion. But if you will investigate, what you find is that Jesus came not to establish a religious order, but to establish a people who follow him. And only in Christianity, only in the church do we find wisdom that claims to be enduring and effective and unexpected. Because only the church is created by the unexpected, upside-down wisdom of the king dying so that his people can live rather than the people giving their lives so that the king can live. It's unexpected, and it's true, which leads us to how wisdom is cultivated in the local church. It starts with sacrifice. All throughout Hebrews 13 here, we're, we're reminded of sacrifice. We're reminded of Jesus' sacrifice, and we're we're and, and our own sacrifices are are uh, referred to. Why? Well, it's because we follow the upside-down, unexpected way of Jesus and we're transformed. We go in this sacrificial way of living, and that's where transformation happens. See, Christianity was set apart in its early history, it wasn't even seen in a certain way, it wasn't even seen as a religion because. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus, there was now no need for an altar for sacrifices. And so people looked and went, how how can you be a religion of any kind? You you don't sacrifice anything. That was their definition. You you don't have anything to to do your religious stuff with. But the answer is because Jesus was, in the words of Hebrews, this, this letter, he was the once and for all sacrifice for our sins. So we don't need those temporary rituals. Instead, because of the gift of life that we've received, right? This isn't something we're offering him in exchange for something. It's something we've been given. And so our everyday lives are the sacrifice, Romans 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, not in view of all the things you can do, all the things you can bring to the table, but in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. You see, we go to him outside the camp. We join him outside the camp. He's come to us, and we go there, and we lay down our lives. We embrace the disgrace that is found there, not to appease him, but because he was pleased to be sacrificed for us. us. Because outside the camp is where we are welcomed in. And in laying down our lives, we find them. Okay, Wisdom starts, cultivating wisdom starts with sacrifice. And so we must sacrificially first, okay, four things that, were, that are mentioned here that I think give us a, a picture, a well-rounded picture of how do we cultivate wisdom. First, we sacrificially study the past to learn to live faithfully in the present. If you're part of a local church. What you're doing is you're joining in a, a company of people who's Who we exist and and should study the past to learn to live faithfully in the present. We're told in Hebrews 13, 7, remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you. As you carefully observe the outcome of their lives, imitate their faith. Here, the reference to these leaders, the the idea and, and the context of what's going on is that these are leaders whose lives have been lived, they have since died. Now, they're alive in Christ, but they have died. They, they're no longer on this earth. And so we're to remember them. We're to remember their faith, remember how they lived, and see the outcome of what they did. Okay, that's, the, that, that's the encouragement here. Look back at those who have gone before. See, we have this tendency to think that new equals wise. But we tend to, to have this idea that if it's older, it's probably no longer relevant. But if it's recent, and we should probably turn our attention there. So what I want to encourage you to do, just very simply, what we are encouraged to do as God's people, and this is where the local church can be really helpful, is to pay attention to those who have gone before us. And, And so just very practically, I want to encourage you, read and listen, read or listen or watch biography. Read about those, learn from dead people, okay, who are alive in Christ. That's the encouragement here. As a part of the church, the universal church, we're connected to people who have gone before us. We are to learn from the outcome of their faith, to imitate their faith, and learn from them to live faithfully in the present. And so just a couple of recommendations. We're going to have a lot more of these for you in, in a few weeks when we talk about books and wisdom from books. But a two, two great spots to start. Seven men and the secret of their greatness. Seven women and the secret of their greatness. Um, these are great books to just even listen to because their biography, I find that listening to biography a lot easier than listening to like, non-fiction books. That, that's really hard for me. But I encourage you, read, listen, learn from saints of old. In the church, we yoke ourselves to a community that is focused on the present but rooted in the past but has a rock-solid hope for the future. So that's the first thing. Study the past. Second thing is Sing God's praise to grow in godliness. You want to cultivate wisdom? Then we sacrificially sing God's praise to grow in godliness. We're told in Hebrews 13, 15. Therefore, through him, through Jesus, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. That is, the fruit of lips that confess his name. Guys, when we gather here on a Sunday, I hope you know you are not gathering here. I mean, like, if this is the reason you're coming... uh, I hope you will, you will reconsider, okay? Do not gather because you somehow think that you want to see me, all right? That's a, that's a like, there's all kinds of better things to do with your, your time, okay? I, I am not in any way the attraction. Frankly, not even the music is the attraction. And, and know this, when you gather here, I don't stand up here and go, man, gotta, gotta do something good for the audience. You're not the audience, I have a responsibility to teach, but make no mistake, we gather together. I know it's one way, you know, I'm, I'm teaching, you're listening, I get that. But together, as we sing, as we learn, as we do these things, God is the audience. He is the star of this show all the time. That's our hope. We, we probably miss the mark sometimes, but that is our hope. That is our great desire. Is not that you would walk away and go, man, I'm so impressed by the way that guy teaches. Oh, I'm so impressed by the way they play music or the way they sing. We just want you to be impressed by Jesus. Really. It's easy to let other things get in the way, but that's the hope. That's the point. We are a people who, through Jesus, we try to continually offer up to God a sacrifice of Praise. That is the fruit of lips that confess his name. And so when we sing, what we're doing, it, it, it's not just because, like, hey, it's fun to sing, and, you know, I bet people just want to come and sing a bunch of church songs. Like, that, that's really not, if, like, we're just trying to gather a bunch of people here, probably not the way that most people are going to want to come. Like, that's not the reason. But what we're doing when we sing together is we're confessing the truth about who God is. But we're not just doing it, like we're not just sitting here reading boring, let me tell you about this. We're we're singing, we're using our bodies, we're using our minds, our our throats, our, our whole selves to say, God, you are good, you are the star. And you've done something to transform us and we want to tell each other that. And we want other people to know that. So we sing God's praise to grow in godliness, to grow in lives that are referenced to God. Whose li- our lives are meant to be wholly referenced to him. We want to think about everything we do in light of who he is and what he's about and what he cares about. And so we sing praise to grow in godliness. Third thing is we serve others to harvest humility. Another aspect of wisdom is humility. Wise people are humble. Wise people understand that the world only really works if I'm not at the center of it. You put me at the center, it doesn't work. It it falls apart. Put you at the center, it falls apart. It doesn't work that way. And so we're told Hebrews 13, 16, don't neglect to do what is good and to share, for God is pleased with such sacrifices. Again, Brett McCracken says this really well. He says, you know, a church community frees you from the crushing weight of self-obsession. It frees you to be part of something bigger than yourself with people who are not like you. It frees you from the bias-confirming bubbles of only being exposed to like-minded people who always affirm but never challenge you. We said it's easy to eat, to consume information so narrowly that all we're doing is finding a bunch of people who already think the way we do. It's easy to come to the Bible just looking for it to tell us what we already know. Or wanting to change it to make it say what we want it to say but instead as we gather together as a people what we're acknowledging is i need other people and they need me and so it said you know, somebody i don't know who said this originally but you make a living by what you get but you make a life by what you give as we talk about this here at the grove that we talk about what we, we call the heart attitudes, these, these ways of relating to one another. Heart attitude number one is we put the goals and interests of others ahead of our own. And we talk about heart attitude number five, we participate in the ministry. That's what, that's what we're talking about here. Serving others to harvest humility, to grow in a, a, a way in which we think of other people, not ourselves, at the center of everything. So I want to encourage you, just a couple ways as we begin to launch into the fall, a couple things to do. One, join a team. You want to know what the Grove's all about. You're wondering what, what, what it's like around here and whether you can trust us and whether this is a really a good spot. Just serve. Jump in and serve somewhere. You can't serve everywhere, okay, without some commitment, so we don't just let people walk in off the street and start helping with the kids, okay? Just that's for your sake, and that's for theirs, and parents, and that. But there's all kinds of ways for you to jump in and, and get shoulder to shoulder, men especially, get shoulder to shoulder and do something together. We can sit and talk all day long. Let's get together, let's do something together, and you'll learn, hey, is okay, these people, they're really about that, or no, they said they were going to do it, and then everybody just sat around and looked at their phone the whole time, I mean, like, it. No, see what's there. You want to do that? Join a team. And then the other thing is, you can jump in a group. Okay, groups are, we are slow launching these, but they're going to get started in September, September 11th, the week of September 11th. Groups will get back going again. Okay, right now we've got three Grove groups that will meet, well, four, okay, but three, and then, well, and really, now you see five up there, okay, so I'm going to explain why there's five, okay? Sorry. One is for students. So our student groups are getting started. Uh, students will get going again. We've got a parent meeting today for, for parents of, of middle school and high school students right after the service at 12 o'clock, kind of let you know how the year's going. Three normal Grove groups right now um, where we'll people gather together each week, get to know each other, encourage one another, talk about the sermons and, and how do we live this out, okay? Just enjoy each other get, and, and become friends and, and help each other, do life. And then you'll see one that's called horizon. And this is if, if you're relatively new to Christianity or wondering what it's really all about, new to what it looks like to walk with Jesus, or maybe you've just never formally had anybody say, you know what, this is what it looks like to be a disciple of Christ. You've never walked through a formal process, for lack of a better word, of, of learning to do that. Then horizon is for you. That one only meets every couple weeks, okay? It has a little bit more of a commitment, but it's meant to really help you get your hands around some key ideas. And so I want to encourage you, if you're interested in that, there's a QR code. You can, you can check those things out. You can let us know on your connection card if you're interested in those, and we can, we can tell you more. But that's part of the way that we learn to, to serve others and grow in humility. Last thing, my favorite. Submit to legitimate leaders and take away teachability. Okay, I've been looking all forward all week to say this one, right? Not really. Um, Hebrews 13, 17, we're told, Obey your leaders and submit to them, since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account, so that they can do this with joy and not with grief. Okay, let me tell you. I could have preached an entire sermon on everything, all, all four of these, okay? Trying to not. Um, but, but let me tell you then first, what is this not about? What, what, is, what is being referred to here? What is this not about? It is not about control. Notice. Submit to legitimate leaders. This is not about controlling your life. What we say here, again, another one of those heart attitudes, follow spiritual leadership within scriptural limits. There are limits to leadership. Your boss doesn't tell you what to do in your home there are limits to leadership. There are limits to spiritual leadership. So we submit to legitimate leaders. Not anybody that just walks in and goes, I'm the boss. Great. Nice to meet you, boss. What are you doing? You know, like well, there's, that, There has to be a legitimacy to this leadership. So it's not about control. And it's not about blind obedience. The, the, the idea here is not just blind obedience. The idea is to be ready to follow And be willing to be convinced. It's not about turning your brain off. It's about being ready to follow and willing to be convinced. And the third thing, this is not about excusing wickedness or folly. This is not an excuse for wickedness or foolishness. Leaders, what we're told here is, leaders, you will be held accountable. And not just legally. You will be accountable To the master of the universe, the one who thought of you and you were. You want to mess with him? All right. We think that's just no big deal. You're going to just be a leader and go willy nilly messing with people's lives and and abusing them and harming them, and, and you'll just get away with it because you hid it from a few people. You hide nothing from the God of the universe. So this is not about excusing wickedness or folly. What is this about? It's about God's way of working in the world. Leadership is his idea. He establishes leaders. And this is about growing in teachability. It's acknowledging we need other people to grow wise. We don't do that all on our own. We need other people. We need people who have some wisdom to learn from. And so I say right here, okay, if you come around, any local church, but you come around this one, this is the only one I'm directly responsible for, you come around here and you go, you know what, I don't think that guy, like, is very wise, I don't think he really understands much of anything, if that's your legitimate thought, and yet you stick around, I'm sorry, but you're the fool, okay? Okay? I mean, I may be a fool. That may be the case. But if you stick around and you, you would say, look, I don't think this guy has anything to offer me. I wouldn't w- want to listen to him in anything he has to say. And yet you do. That's foolish on your part. So if we do stick around, then there's some acknowledgment. Not that I'm perfect. Not that leaders in the grove are perfect. But there's an acknowledgment that, okay, there's wisdom here. I can learn from these people. That's what this is about. It's about growing in teachability. And it's about growing in concern for the real people in your church. You see, we consult leaders because other people are affected by our decisions. And leaders oftentimes have a bigger picture. They're just responsible for seeing more of what's going on. doesn't mean, again, that that's perfect view. But if we care about the people, the real people in our church, then we consult leaders to help us understand how our decisions might affect others. And we follow leaders because others benefit when we cooperate. If you're stubborn and just causing problems for for leaders, it's not just the leader that suffers. You suffer and other people suffer. So this is about growing in concern for the real people in your church. Friends, this particular aspect of wisdom and everything else, all of these things are about being part of a congregation, not an aggregation. It's about being a part of a congregation, about a cluster of grapes. If, if you're just one raisin in the box, right, then, then you can do your own me and Jesus thing, and others will benefit. But in the end, it's most likely just about you. And, and here's the other thing. If you're just one raisin in the box, you can leave, and it just means more room for everybody else. But if you're a grape in the cluster, when you are faithful, other generations will benefit. And when your lips confess his name, you help spread godliness through the whole branch. And when you do good and you share, you help us all grow plump. It's not always a good thing, but you help us grow plump with the sweet juice of humility. Plump with humility is a good thing. And when you're teachable, every soul in the cluster can rejoice in your growing wisdom. Jesus has made it possible. He he has made us, his body, his bride, he has made it possible for us to be a growing cluster of grapes. Living for his glory and growing in wisdom. So let's do it. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you've come, sent your son to rescue, to save the girl, kill the dragon, and give us hope for forever. I pray, Lord, that you would work powerfully in and through us as a people. I pray if there are any here who have yet to trust Jesus for new life, that they would consider the offer that he gives, the offer of grace. God, help us to grow in wisdom. Help us to recognize that the church is meant to be a a prime source of wisdom in our lives to help us in growing wise. We ask for your help, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray that you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at thegrovekc.com for more ways to connect with us. And join us again next week for another podcast from The Grove Church. Have a great day!